hey what's going on so i wanted to kind of take a moment again to kind of give a little understanding and this little bit more clarity about something uh whenever a non-white person is talking to white people from my experience or what i've seen whenever you're talking about racism white supremacy or how white people practice white supremacy in the form of mistreatment what winds up happening is they always do something that's called a what about ism well, what about this well, what about that well, what about this and one of the what about isms that they use is well, what about black on black crime or what about white people who are suffering what about and so to kind of explain this what about ism that they use it is a variant of the what is the word it's a friend uh quay. it's uh, uh the logical fallacy that attempts to discredit an opponent or someone that they're debating or talking about a position by charging them with a hypocrisy without directly refuting or disproving the original argument, original issue, which is particularly associated and came from the Soviet and Russian propaganda. Okay, so white people, <laughs> they use this tactic of if if I ask them, okay, so the mistreatment that happens when a white police officer shoots and kills a non-white person, well, what about the black on black kind that the people <laughs> that uh, you know black people getting shot by each other all the time? So let me let me let me just dispel that or something that you can use to dispel that immediately. First of all. When it comes to non-white people, particularly black folk, we are sick. I'm sick. We have an illness. And that illness is in every single non-white person's consciousness. Every single one. I have not met a non-white person on this planet. And I've traveled all over that I have not met. That does not have this illness or sickness. Especially black folk. This illness and sickness does not allow us to interact with each other constructively. Remember when I talked about even when we talk about racism and white supremacy we have. And I said long before that interaction we're going to have anxiety and confusion. That is part of that illness. So... While racism is in existence, while white supremacy is in existence, we are going to have this sickness and this illness because everything that we learn, everything that we know has either come from a white person and or white people directly or indirectly. And I know that's kind of hard. If you're non-white, particularly if you're black and you're listening to this, you're like, no, no, I don't learn that. No, Austin, you just kind of saying a little bit too much. But no, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Everything that we have learned, everything that we have learned has either come from white people and or a white person directly or indirectly. And so when white people teach you everything, and I mean everything, they also teach you how they deal with non-white people. They teach you how they don't, how they deal with you. And so because you internalize that teaching, you 
the individual will treat non-white people exactly how white people have treat you to teach them, treat them because they are treating them the same way. So when you ask a white person about why they do the mistreatment and they do a what aboutism or they say what about black on black mistreatment, you have to say I'm not speaking about black on black mistreatment. I understand why we mistreat each other, why we kill each other, why we take from each other, why we argue with each other, why we are tacky with each other, why we are trashy with each other, why we will ultimately become terroristic with each other. I already know this. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to learn about the initial, the first mistreatment that spawned all these other mistreatments that are happening among non-white people. So I'm not denying what you're saying. I, I, if, I, if I didn't understand what was going on with, with black folk, I would talk to black folk. But because I know everything black folk know and learn has come from white people, I'm going to the source. So please explain to me or, you know, can, I, can you answer me this question or can you give me your observation as a white person? But to realize is that they are doing, they're deflecting because they, because honestly, they don't really know. They don't really know. They don't really understand. And so because they don't know and they don't understand, I want to let you know something. They are lying to you. They are lying to you and lying to your face. They really do know and they really do understand. I have never met a white person ever in my life that does not know or is not aware that racism, white supremacy is in existence. Not one white person walking this planet over the age of 16 that does not know that racism and white supremacy is in existence. They know exactly what it means. Another thing that a white person knows that they try to act like they don't know. But one thing that they're sure, they know who is white and they know who is not white. We may be confused. We are, may not know who is white or not white. But white people know exactly who is white and who is not white. And because of that confusion, because of that sickness that we have, We'll never, ever learn and figure out exactly how to come together and deal with these problems. So in a past conversation I had with another non-white person, um, she had expressed and talked about, man, I don't, I don't even interact with my family. And that's very true. Sometimes our, our illness and that sickness of white supremacy affects us so bad that we can't even be around our own family members who are non-white. We will literally grow up in the same house, be in the same room, and for some odd reason, completely have no constructive interaction whatsoever. And we don't even know why. Got the same mom, got the same dad. And it's just, that's my brother, and we just never really clicked. That's just my sister, and we, you know, we just never really clicked. And we don't ever understand and see that because we're in a system of white supremacy, 
it is teaching us how to interact with each other as white people would interact with each other. Especially if you're in a household, whether you have your mom or your dad, or you just have one parent. You know why? Because the system is being taught to you in the school, it's being taught to you in your video games, it's being taught to you in the food that you eat, it's being taught to the, in the music that you listen to. It's in every single facet and every single activity of your life. So that even when you see someone who is actually your brother or sister, you will have conflict. Another part of this also that adds to this illness is that it's made to think or seem that it's normal. It's made to think that, that what you're seeing or how you're acting is just what happens, right? You know, just how, you know, how black folk is. It's just, you know, we get around each other. That's just how we are. No, that is not how we are. Uh, you know, that's just my brother. And, you know, just, you know how brothers are. No, that's not how brothers are. That's not how it's supposed to be. But because, again, we learned this from people who mistreat and subjugate us. We are also inadvertently taught that what you see is going on is normal. Sibling rivalry or contention between people based on differences, especially among black folk, it is always expressed that that's even normal. There was a point in time, a long time ago, and I'm probably sharing a little bit of some history, that the idea, the concept was presented about Willie Lynch. Uh, Willie Lynch was supposedly have been a writing where the story goes that Willie Lynch was a plantation owner from the West Indies who was contracted to come up from the West Indies during slavery times to help teach the white slave owners in Virginia how to better control and deal with their slaves. Um, one thing that they don't talk about, but there was constant slave revolts throughout the colonies during slavery. Uh, and so what they had did, according to the story that is being expressed and talked about, is that Willie Lynch had come up and sat with these plantation owners and said, okay, I have some, some diabolical practices that I use to deal with wild horses. And so my ability to kind of deal with these wild horses, what we're going to do is we're going to do that with these slaves that we have. Now, uh, to be real specific, um, when he said that he was doing things with the horses, they, they don't really talk about this in, the, in this Willie Lynch letter. But uh, to kind of share how you deal with wild horses, when you have horses in the, in the pack, right? What you'll do is there'll be one that is kind of leading the herd. And so what you do is, and everyone kind of follows that one, and that, and that, that horse is going to be the one that's going to be, you know, bucking and regular. So what they do is they beat that horse. I mean, beat that horse and they for a long time in front of the horses. And they beat that horse so bad. And they beat that horse. And now this is the thing. They beat the horse for a long period of time until the horse literally dies in front of the other horses. Then what they do 
right there, right in front of those horses. They starve those horses while they're beating them, while that thing is going, and they actually take and cut that horse up and take meat from that dead body of that horse, grind it up and add it to the feed in front of the horses, and then feed the horses the dead body parts of that wild horse that was in front of there. And after they eat, because they've been starving and eating so much, and they saw and witnessed that the wild horse that was leading them is actually got beat in front of them, and not only that, they actually have to eat it, they, they, there's no issues and no problems with any of those horses. They walk, they're quiet, like they fall in line, and they have no issues ever again with those horses. This is what you do to, 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 that they were, these were the methods that they were using with these wild horses. So when he came to Virginia, he applied those tactics. And he says, but because they were human beings and they were doing a little bit more of a social engineering thing, right? Because if you, if you remember, majority of the plantation, they had no fences. There were no fences and barbed wires on the plantation. So that means that the mind had to be enslaved. They had to be put in his place. So what he did was, he told him, he says, this is what you do. Get the strongest, wildest slave among them and beat him to the inch of his life. Don't kill him, but beat him to the inch of his life. Then take another one, another big one and strong one, and do it in front of the female slaves and their infants and every, make them watch. Especially the ones who are pregnant. Make them watch while they're pregnant. Tie one end of his feet and the other end of his arms on other horses. And smack the horse's ass and make them run. And so they can split that body in front of them. They would say tar and feather. You know, they would tar and feather would show uh, where they would get tar. And they would pour tar on the body of, of the person. Hot tar and then throw feather on them. But understanding why tar and feather tarring is actually, it actually kills them is because the tar is so thick, you can actually suffocate their body because the tar will cover up the pores of the body. You actually breathe through your skin in some instances. And so when, when that tar covers the entire body, you can literally sit there and suffocate to death with, with no tar in your mouth and no tar in your nose. But it's a very slow and painful way of dying. And the feathering and what whatnot for jokes, for shits and giggles on their part. Then, after you do that, that was the first part. When you see them, you make them go against each other. You make the brothers and sisters go against each other. You make the older men and the younger men have contention among each other. You make the men and females have contention among each other. And what winds up happening after these contentions and after these issues, it would then is expressed that after a while, we won't even have to deal with it. And then, uh, according to this Willie Lynch letter, it says that man, it'll last for 400 years. You'll never have to worry about any issues of them coming together, working together, because they're gonna overthrow. Now, a little fast forward. So this is the, the, the Willie Lynch letter, paraphrasing somewhat. Now, I wanted to somehow, some way, 
when I came when I came across it, and I had learned I had learned the idea, the concept from it from my father. But when I had first learned it, my father, being uh, a non-white man himself, and uh, constantly trying to find clarity of things, what uh, he he prefaced the story and he said that it is suspected. We don't know if it's not real. I'm like, well, and then he tells me a story about Willie Lynch. And I was like, well, wait a minute. So did that really happen or that didn't really happen? And he says something very poignant. He says, it may not have happened. It may have happened. Willie Lynch, for all intents and purposes, may not have really been uh, a real person. But whether he was real or not, the condition is still real. And so... I was like, yo, you're right. And so in the back of my head, I was like, you know what? Even if Willie Lynch isn't real or alive, it doesn't matter because what he's saying is true. Because for some reason, black folk just can't come together for shit. There's a, this is not going to happen. It's so much so that, man, we can't even do it within our own household. So after a while, I started looking and seeing. I was like, you know what? Let me find out if it's really real. And so I started asking, sort of interacting. During the 1960s, when there was a big, a big part of the civil rights, I was able to, I had a chance to kind of interact with a lot of uh, non-white people that were alive during those times were part of the struggle. I even had an experience of, of, of kind of working with ex-Black Panthers and, uh, you know, some of the original, some of those old ones from the early 60s, late 60s, mid 60s, early 70s, even a couple of them that were pre-civil rights. That were freedom fighters, that were educators, um, and you know it, it was it was it was a blessing, man, just to kind of have those type of access to those type of people. And I would ask them about the Willie Lynch. I was like, oh, among all those information things, you said, did you guys talk about Willie Lynch? And no one said anyone. No one said, you know what? No, we didn't talk about Willie Lynch. So I I I, I tried to dig. And try to figure out where this concept or idea about Willie Lynch came. There was one person I was talking of talking to. They had made a reference to saying that Willie Lynch was a fictitious character. But we couldn't say or somebody couldn't say that black folk have a problem. We had to kind of create an idea for someone to focus on for us to realize that we have a problem. Right. This is something that uh, white people teach also that's known as the neocons and uh, neocon is a concept that was created. Harry Kissinger, uh, he creates an idea of pushing them from the neocon t teachings. Uh, Leo Strauss, if you want to look up that word, was if you create an enemy, the ability for you to create an enemy for people will galvanize them to come together. And your ability to control those people by creating an enemy for them to focus on would be much, you know. And so there have been many thoughts and schools of ideas and thoughts as it relates to non-white people that have been introduced to us to try to galvanize and organize us to focus. And I, I, I am under the suspicion that that Willie Lynch letter, that Willie Lynch idea is a neocon style tactic that was actually created by a non-white black man. And I believe it was a psychologist or a, a sociologist of some kind in the early, I want to say late 70s, early 80s. 
Because if you really kind of follow conversations, if you really kind of follow when that kind of came up, uh, this is when that came up. But the fact of the matter is, whether Willie Lynch is real, and they'll say that's where, you know, the name Lynchburg, Virginia comes from, and the word lynching comes from his name, Willie Lynch, and oh, okay, I, I'm not, all right. But this is the reality of it. Whether it is real or not, like my father had told me, it still exists. And it still exists to this day. And so now, as I'm expressing counter-racist logic and counter-racist ideas, there is something going on. There is a sickness that we have. There's an illness that we have. And it is okay to understand that you have a sickness. But what is not okay is that you're not doing anything about it. I say this all the time. If you are a non-white person and you are born and raised anywhere on the planet, particularly in America, you need therapy. <laughs> you need some serious therapy. You need some counseling. And you need a very particular style of therapy. That'll help you kind of deal with this undiagnosed, untreated illness that we have, that we develop and got while trying to survive and live in a society that has been created to support the betterment and advancement of white people. So just take that a little bit. Let that kind of simmer and sink in and uh, yeah, <clears throat> enjoy the rest of the shows. Peace.